This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. What is up, people? It is February 23rd, and I am coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, the mega center of athletes and hippies and Subarus. Uh, Let's see how many times I have to record this intro before I can get it right. This podcast is officially one year old. Yeah, I'd like to thank you guys for coming along on this journey of mine. I was in a pretty rough place a year ago when I started this thing. This started as a sort of a therapy for me. Um, you know, I'm not better, I'm not cured, and I'm always gonna have to stay on top of my mental health and my addictions, but I can honestly say I feel 100% better than I did a year ago when I started this thing. I don't do this podcast for anyone but myself. If you guys are into it, that is just icing on the cake for me. And uh, I'm super thankful. That is a blessing. If I was trying to make a successful podcast, I would only interview certain elite people or keep it to one specific genre. However, I like talking to all kinds of people, old friends or whoever comes along. Most of my guests are mountain endurance athletes because that really interests me and I find some inspiration there, but I don't limit my guests to just ultra runners. I'm trying to learn from anyone and everyone that I can. I want to thank you guys that have been here with me since the beginning. Um, And if you're new here, welcome. I have a really cool guest lined up for you guys today and I know you're going to dig it. Michael McKnight is an ultra runner, and he is an elite one at that. He has won the triple crown of 200 milers, not once, but twice. He's really into the low-carb, high-fat diet, and for him, it's an extremely effective strategy that he employs towards running his ultra marathons. I had a ton of questions about his diet and uh, how he got into it, why he got into it. He holds... He holds the fastest known time on the Colorado Trail, which he just set in 2020. He ran 100 miles with no food whatsoever last year as well. He ran 4,400 miles in 2020. All of these feats are mind-blowing on their own, to me anyways. Um, These are all just a testament to his diet and his dedication to his craft, which I truly admire and I wanted to hear more more about it. He is coming up. In just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by On Pace Wellness. Are you looking to fine-tune your diet and nutrition? Do you need someone to point you in the right direction of how or what to eat nowadays? What's the best diet for you? For you specifically, because everybody's different. Maybe you're already an athlete and you're just hoping to take your game up to the next level. Will Benitez is an open-minded and experienced 
certified nutritionist who can help you do just that. He's also an ultra runner, and so he's not one of those guys that's going to tell you you're running too much and you better slow down. He works with all kinds of really, really high-end athletes and ultra runners, and he's the guy to talk to about fine-tuning your diet. No cookie-cutter nutrition plans here. Everybody is different. He will actually listen to you and work with you specifically. You can hear my conversation with him on episode number 62. Look him up at On Pace Wellness. Mention the Do Big Things podcast and get 10% off his services. I highly recommend you guys checking, checking him out. Um, I listened to the conversation I had with him several times and took a bunch of his advice and I'm already feeling better than ever. I ran one of my best 10 mile mountain runs ever yesterday and felt great afterwards. Onpacewellness.com. Get dialed in. This podcast is also brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Great tasting, non-alcoholic craft beer made with high quality, all natural ingredients with low calories for the active lifestyle. No matter your motivation, if you want to keep a clear head and drink healthier, they are here for you. They've made it their mission to brew non-alcoholic beer that does not compromise taste, quality, or our healthy, active lifestyle. You like IPAs? You like hoppy beers? You like a dark stout? Check these guys out. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Athleticbrewing.com. Get 20% off using the discount code McRobertsA20. All caps. That's my last name and first initial. M-C-R-O-B-E-R-T-S-A-20. For 20% off, some of the best non-alcoholic beer. This stuff is winning contests all over the globe. This stuff is awesome, you guys. You can have one in the middle of the day without worrying about driving. Uh, You can have one before a workout if you want. There's no alcohol. I always take one with me. I just throw it in the pack when I'm headed up into the mountains, and I have myself a little treat when I get up to the summit. I did that yesterday. Look them up. Athleticbrewing.com. Use my discount code. Remember, guys, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting this podcast. Thank you so much for the support, you guys. Um, I would really appreciate it if you listen to us regularly to, uh, you guys could leave us a review. I am just putting this out there for this particular episode. If you leave us a review on Apple or iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, screenshot it and send it to me. I'll send you a Do Big Things hat for free. That's right. Free, baby. You want a free hat? Leave me a review. I don't even care if it's a bad review. Take a picture, send it to me, and I'll send you a hat and even cover the shipping costs. How about that? That is how I'm celebrating this podcast turning one year old today. Free swag. Get some, baby. Now, here's my conversation with Mr. Michael McKnight. Nah, you're good, man. Little technical difficulties, but uh, it wouldn't yeah. be a podcast if we didn't have technical difficulties. I mean, that, that comes with the territory. So cool, man. Well, I'm excited uh, to talk with you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So my guest today, Michael McKnight, uh, 
two-time triple crown winner, 100-miler fasted, ran 100 miles fasted, uh, Colorado Trail, FKT, all kinds of good stuff here, man. So I'm, I'm sure you're chock full of stories, and I want to hear all of them, man. So uh, if you don't mind, yeah, just give us a brief intro. Tell us who you are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm Mike McKnight. I live in northern Utah. In, it's in a small like valley called Cache Valley. Um, it's, it's perfect. We're surrounded by mountains. Um, you have to go out of a canyon to be able to get out of the valley. So it's just perfect mountain town. It's, um, uh, for now it's cheap to live here. Yeah. So that's kind of why me and my wife are here. Um, it's a lot more affordable to live than like in a Boulder or a Golden Colorado. So grew up here, grew up on a dairy farm. Um, didn't really grow up with any athletic background. And then when I was 21, just started running for fun and, um, the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So why running? Why not lawn darts or volleyball <laughs> or something? <laughs> why running? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. And I feel like every time I tell the story, it always changes, even though it's the same story. Yeah. Um, but like I, I started running when I was, so I did a little bit of running in high school. Uh, I, I was in track, but that was because track was a requirement for football. Hmm. So I joined football in my junior year in high school, did track because I had to, didn't really enjoy it. <clears throat> as soon as I graduated, I stopped running, um, got out of shape, gained a little bit of weight back on. And then my sister was doing a half marathon and she like kind of gave me a little challenge to do it with her and I guess it was just the right time to be issued a challenge because I decided that sounded fun to see if I could do a half marathon and I ended up doing a lot better than I ever thought I could and so the motive to start training and start making running a priority was I thought I did okay at the half without training maybe if I actually train and get better, I might have a chance to walk on to the track team at the college I was attending. Mm, okay. And then if I did that, then, you know, hopefully I could get my schooling paid for. Ah, so okay. the motive to get into running was to try to get my college tuition paid for. Did it work? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you going uh, to school and what were you studying? So here in the Valley I live, there's, it's Utah State University. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a pretty popular university. I was studying social work. Um, so the, the other part to my story was like shortly after I started training, I broke my back in a skiing accident, at, um, at a ski resort <clears throat> and the, the break was so bad. I had to have surgery the next day. I had some rods and screws put into my spine, which are still there. And the doctor um, gave me a prognosis that I would be in bed for a few months and that I would basically not be able to get back to somewhat normal of a life until um, about a year post-surgery. Mm. So he, he encouraged me to incomplete my college classes, which I did. And that just means that, you know, this was in February of 2012. Incompleting them means I just like basically deferred them for a year and I was going to start up again a year later. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost my job because they thought I'd be in bed for a long time and couldn't come to work. So long story short, I ended up recovering and I started running three weeks after my surgery. <laughs> and, um, base, and then after that, I did a 10K about six weeks after my surgery. Whoa. About, 
about eight weeks post-surgery, I was feeling good enough that I was just running every day and I didn't have a job. I didn't have school. All my friends were in school, so I had nothing else to do. So I just started running a lot every single day. And that's kind of how my love for the longer distance um, was created. That's pretty crazy. So are you generally like a, a pretty stubborn person or did you just want to defy the doctor's odds or like what, what was your thoughts after you broke your back and, and they, they gave you, you know, they told you it was going to be, you know, probably never going to run again. You're going to be in bed for a year. Like what were your thoughts there? Um, I mean, I am a stubborn person, but I don't feel that this happened out of being stubborn. Um, so so basically my doctor gave me, um, like my physical therapy. He was just like, try to go for a mile walk every day. Okay. And I had, um, I had one of those like torso body braces on that was like made out of a, as a plastic that was shaped to my specific body size and structure. So I was wearing that. I had to use my grandma's walker. Um, and I started walking a mile a day, just out on the road. Like he told me to, um, and my, I lived with my parents when I broke my back and they lived out like in this farming community. So the roads were, weren't busy. So I just walked up and down the road for a mile with my walker. Um, but like a few short days after that, I was just like, so I don't think this is stubbornness. I think this is just kind of like, I, this is where I kind of realized that I like to, um, see what my limitations were and see if I could improve myself. So you know, like my first couple mile walks took over an hour just because it was so awkward and painful. Mm -hmm. But after like three of those walks, I was like, okay, let's see if I can do it in less than an hour. And then after a couple walks that got under an hour, I was like, um, it doesn't hurt to walk. So let's see if I can walk two miles. And then two miles became three miles. And about two and a half, three weeks after my surgery, I was walking six miles a day. Um, just, you know, it didn't hurt and I had nothing else to do. So I figured it wasn't hurting to, to just walk all day, basically with a walker um, or you ditched the walker at this point. I ditched the walker like right <laughs> away or uh, about a week. And a, I had a cane. I was using a cane. At okay. Point. Okay. So and I still had the back or the, the torso brace on. Yep. Still had that. Okay. And so about three and a half weeks of like kind of progressing through all of that. Um, naturally I was just like, you know, if I can walk six miles and it doesn't hurt, I wonder what running will do. <laughs> so I went for, it was a half mile run. I had my brace on um, and I didn't feel like, it felt a little bit more painful, but not enough to like make me feel concerned. Like if I keep doing this, I'm going to hurt myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I could have I like, I could have hurt myself. Like in <laughs> retrospect, it was probably a stupid decision, <laughs> but I kept going with it. And for those first like 10 weeks, I did all my runs with my back brace on. It was oh, uncomfortable, okay. but wow. yeah, I felt, I felt comfortable being able to do it with my back brace on just to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. So previous to this, you had run a half marathon and was that it? Yep. Wow. Okay. And then, okay. And then, <laughs> So then your 10 K race was how long after your surgery? Six weeks, you said six weeks. Yep. Six weeks. Crazy. And that was without the back brace. I'm guessing. Nope. I had it on. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was actually, it was an official race. It was a, it was like a 10 K charity run. Uh -huh. um, and I showed up in my track shorts. I had a long sleeve shirt on and then have my brace over my shirt. <laughs> that's a, that's a good conversation starter out on the, yeah. out on the run. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. 
Do you remember what your time was? Yeah, well, it was between 48 and 49. It was 48. Okay. I mean, that's incredible for having just broke your back six weeks earlier. Yeah, I was stoked. Totally. <laughs> Especially because like, you know, that brace made it a little bit harder to breathe. Yeah. Just like the whole time, like I felt super constricted with my chest, but yeah, it worked out. So what were people's reactions at that 10K? Um, were, were people pulling you aside and saying, look, man, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing here? I mean, no, I don't remember anybody saying that. <clears throat> I had my friends and my family that were all showing concern that I yeah. was doing. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, and then was the progression just like slow and steady, like most people, 10 K half marathon, marathon, 50 K on, on up, or, or what did that look like? So I've actually never done an official marathon. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so basically this was February of 2012 that I broke my back. Um, I remember that the rate, the 10 K race that I did was April 1st. It was on April fool's day. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just started running like 10 miles a day, roughly mid-April, mm. um, again, because I had nothing else to do. And then in June, um, I, I got a new job, finally, and I met a local trail runner. Um, and, and I never heard of ultra marathons before this. So this local trail runner is the one, who, he, he was training for a 100-mile race that takes place in this valley that, that we live in. Mm. And so he told me about this 100-mile race. Um, and just told me how he goes trail running every day. And I didn't know trail running was a thing. I, I thought you ran on the roads and you hiked on the trails. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I learned about this whole world of trail and ultra running. And he invited me to go running with him. He invited me to pace him at that 100 mile race. Yeah. Um, just kind of fell in love with it. So um, I did my first ultra just a little bit over a year past my surgery. Wow. Um, so I just kind of jumped right into it and didn't do the marathons or anything. <laughs> was that a 50 kilometer? Was that a 50 kilometer race? Um, yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Basically. It, was, it was just short. 50K. Yeah. Did you ever go back and see this doctor and tell him, uh, look, man, I, I did a 10 K uh, six <laughs> weeks after you told me that I was going to be in bed for a year. <laughs> yeah. You know, I get asked that all the the time and every time I say I, I didn't say anything to him and I, I keep wanting to go back and say something to him yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I live 10 minutes from the hospital he still works there so okay I, I just need to get up one day and go tell him yeah. how good of a job he did <laughs> not to rub it in his face or anything but um yeah just to just to let him know no, 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 no. Yeah, just to let him know what time it is like yeah you're dealing with a different person here I'm, I'm a different kind of animal so that's crazy. Um, well, and just to let him know. Sorry, and go just ahead. to let him know how good he did. Yeah. I say just to let him know how good he did. Like, yeah. you know, it's just like obviously he knows he's good because he's been doing it for years and I'm sure he's seen a lot of success stories. But you know, I, I meet so many people that have had back surgery and their story's different. And I know a lot of it could be body and how your body responds and whatnot, but you know, I think it'd be good to let him know that he did a really good job on my back. Yeah, that's true. Just a testament to his good work. Like, yeah, here's what I'm doing now, dude. And I still got the, the hardware in my back. So yeah, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Um, what was your first hundred miler? The bear 100. The that's bear. The, okay. Yep. And that's the, the one my buddy did. Oh, okay. Okay. Legit. So that's a legit first hundo. 
Um, so yeah, you paced your buddy and you just kind of got the bug, right? Um, you, you were kind of immersed in the world that, I mean, anyone like pacing or volunteering at a hundred mile race usually kind of is, is like, I wonder if I could ever do this, you know, and they kind of get that bug. And, and, uh, so how long was it the next year that you ran your first hundred miler? Um, it, it was two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. So I paced him in the fall of 2012 and I did it in fall of 2014. Okay. That's still pretty quick, man, to jump into that hundred. It took me years. Like I was a slow progression, like, you know, 50 K and then the next year, 50 mile, the next year, hundred K. Like I took my time. I didn't, but you know, I, I didn't know any better, you know, I mean, this was back in the day when everyone was reading Dean Carnaz's book, ultra marathon, man. And I was no athlete in school or anything. So I, I didn't know what I was getting into. So I was just trying to play it safe. But, um, so how did that first hundred miler go for you? Did it go pretty well? No, most of my earlier races, I suffered from gut issues. Uh, that particular race, I had it band issues for like the final 50. Mm. Um, I finished it, but it was a little bit slower than I thought I was able to do. Okay. Um, but I finished it. So I, I counted that as a win. <laughs> Did you have IT band issues after that, or was it just in the beginning of your ultra running? Yeah, so I had IT band issues pretty consistently um, until 2017, okay. um, so quite, quite quite a long time. But <clears throat> once I started implementing strength training into my routine, I haven't had any issues since. Like body weight squats. Yep. Squats, um, lateral band walks, wall sits, mm. um, glute bridges. Okay. Yeah. Just engaging my glutes a little bit more. Got it. And you said you had stomach problems too. And, uh, I can relate, man. I've, I've puked through a lot of, a lot of long races, so I, I can totally relate there. Um, were you throwing up or number two or like, or both, or what was it like <laughs> for you? <laughs> Just throwing up. Okay. Okay. It actually took like, this is probably too much information, but it actually <laughs> took a good three years before I actually even went number two during a race. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was pretty fortunate with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That'll, I mean, that slows you down even more than puking. So yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, so I know you're uh, a keto guy now, what was your, your diet like before and what were you using to fuel your ultra marathons back in the day when you were having stomach problems? Yeah, I, um, I, I assume, you know, Carl Meltzer mm -hmm, for sure. The speed goat. So speed he's goat. speed goat. <laughs> um, he's like, he lives an hour or so from where I live. Um, so when I first got into ultra running, I started doing like research and come to learn that this like amazing ultra marathoner just lived super close to where I was, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, anyway, I remember reading an article about him and what his diet consisted of. Um, and most people who know Carl knows that he basically, if he wants to eat it, he eats it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, burgers, burgers, ice cream, soda, beer, all of it. So, yep. so I just, yep kind of started doing that, um, starting a lot of ice cream, drinking a lot of soda. Um, I just started like, I was just like, like I need calories. So I just started eating any kind of calorie source. Wait, while um, you were running, I actually started to gain weight. Wait, well, so while you were running, you were well, just ice my cream day to day. day to day. Okay. Okay. No. Yeah. 
um, during the races I was having, I was having a lot of soda, um, Skittles, basically just a lot of processed sugars. For sure. Um, the goo and, and that kind of stuff never worked with my stomach. So I did like gummy bears and uh, basically just anything you can get at the local gas station. <laughs> yep. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, that didn't work for me. So I, I kind of had to figure out a new way to approach my nutrition. Yeah. And how long did that journey take before you found, um, you know, uh, a low carbohydrate diet? Um, was it, was it kind of a long journey or what did that look like? Yeah. So I started the low carbohydrate, um, high fat approach in basically four years ago. So the, the spring of 2017, okay. um, and I started doing ultras in 2013. So it took about four years before I figured it out. Okay. And so those four years, were they pretty miserable? I mean, just like a lot of puking at every race or like, did you have to get to a certain distance before you started puking or what was it like? Yeah. Like my wife, um, we were, so I was about two years into ultras when I met and married my wife. Um, and she would come out and crew with me and pace me and just like, she'd see how much suffering I went through and just see all the the puking and the miserable feelings. And she just always a couple of days after be like, why do you do this? It doesn't look fun. <laughs> and I really couldn't think of an answer at that point because I was getting frustrated with how much I was puking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say like 70% of the races that I did, I puked at. Um, and those races that I didn't puke, I ended up having energy issues because I wasn't eating enough. Okay. So like I probably had two good races the first few years of my ultra running. Um, and the rest were just kind of average or not great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of in the same boat here. Like I've noticed that if I'm eating too much, I'm getting sick, but if I don't eat very much during races, especially long races, hundred miles or so, you know, I don't get sick, but I'm coming into the, the finish line, like 10 pounds lighter than when I started you know, because I'm not eating enough, you know, yeah. like every couple hours, I'll, I'll take in some fruit, a couple chips I'm doing like, you know, and I, I can't really do goose, but I might do like two in a hundred mile race, just like before a big climb. And, uh, so I'm kind of in the same boat. So I'm keto curious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, from what I understand you, you found this diet through Jeff Browning. Is that right? Correct. Okay. I know he's big into the diet. Um, and so like, how did it start for you? And when you first went keto was, was that really rough? Was there uh what's it called? Like the keto, keto sick or whatever it's called keto or keto flu. Yeah. Where you get kind of sick at first and your runs are just really sluggish and slow. And what was your journey? Yeah. My adaption period was pretty rough. Um, <clears throat> I was the athlete manager for ultra footwear. And I met Jeff Browding at an athlete summit that I planned um, that year. And I picked up Jeff Browning at the, the Salt Lake City Airport and a few other athletes. And I was driving this big van and Jeff was in front with me. We were driving to Zion National Park, which is about a four hour drive from the airport. So the majority of that drive, um, Jeff was telling me about the low carb diet and like two days after that summit is when I started just because he seemed to know what he was talking about and everything he told me made sense. And so I started, but 
um, at the time, so Jeff is my coach currently. Mm. Um, at the time he wasn't my coach. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of mistakes I made during my adaption period. Mm. Um, whereas now if I have a question, I can just shoot Jeff a text because he's my coach. And I mm -hmm. like, I'm like, yeah, I can text him because I'm paying him to be my Sweet. coach. Yeah. But you know, at the time I didn't have that luxury. So there was a lot of things I didn't do right. And my adaption took about three to four months okay. um, where I just felt sick, no energy. I couldn't run like, like that, that, that low energy feeling I had in races was a pretty consistent feeling for three months of my training. Um, yeah, it was just like a miserable time, but I had enough hope that I would adapt and that it would help me. And so I just stuck with it. And then eventually, you know, things kind of clicked with my body and ever since like fully adapting and like doing it right, I, I really haven't had any stomach issues. Um, I've never like experienced low energy, like ever since being adapted, like my energy levels have always been good. Even um, in the 200. Yep. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I, I have on occasion had stomach issues and that's either from not in taking enough electrolytes or taking too many electrolytes. Usually if I like dial it back or like if I'm not getting enough and I intake more electrolytes, usually it fixes itself within an hour. <clears throat> if I'm getting too much then I just dial it back and it fixes itself within an hour kind of a thing. So stomach issues I have are rare right now, but they usually fix themselves within an hour because I usually have an idea on what's going wrong. Uh, but yeah, the energy levels have, have always been good. I've never had issues with that ever since switching. Wow. What were some of the big mistakes you made at first? Um, so the two, the, the two biggest. Um, so the reason if you listen to any, so me and Jeff and Zach actually just did a podcast a week oh, ago. Sweet. Um, the, and if you talk to any of us, generally we don't tell people we're doing keto um and the reason i say that is because we are increasing our carbs around volume and around um intensity with our training sure okay so when i started keto i didn't know that concept so i was just like chronically low with my carbs for a long time and i didn't like take a little bit more carbohydrate around my workouts mm. Um, so if I did that, that would have helped my energy levels a little bit more during that transition. <clears throat> and then the other thing too, is just, I didn't understand that, um, water holds on to carbohydrate. And so when you stop eating the amount of carbohydrates that your body's used to, your body starts to dump water Okay. And with that, your body is also dumping more electrolytes. Mm. So during the transition period, it's super important to up your electrolyte intake. So you know, drink salt water. <clears throat> I, I buy bulk supplements and I just like buy raw magnesium, raw potassium, and I'll mix those things in water and drink them throughout the day. I wasn't doing that when I transitioned. So the electrolyte, the offset of my electrolytes was causing the keto flu. Okay. So even in the <clears throat> beginning, if one were to be transitioning to a low carb diet, they should still have maybe a, a sweet potato or a yam the night before a big run. Is that what you're saying? Not a sweet, but not like more fruits. <clears throat> fruits oh, okay. is usually what you want to start with. <clears throat> so like there's three different phases. <clears throat> you know, the first phase is when you're transitioning. Mm -hmm. um, you typically want to be, so the strict definition of keto is 30 grams of carbohydrate. 
Okay. Or less. Um, when I transitioned, I stuck to that 30 and didn't ever go over it. Hmm. For an athlete who's transitioning to keto, it's okay to go up to 50 okay. grams of carbohydrates in that, in that first transitional phase. I wasn't going up to that 50. So, you know, usually a potato is going to take you over. Mm. Um, But if you just have like a bowl of berries or a little bit of extra green veggies or maybe some carrots or just something in terms of non-starchy vegetables or fruits. um, But just getting to that 50 grams is kind of the, the key number to shoot for for that phase one adaption period. Okay. Okay. So like I wasn't doing any fruit during that yep like i was just doing green veggies that's where my carbs were coming from and the occasional carbs you'll see in like some nuts um but it's okay to have fruit in that phase one for people who are adapting okay and is that for the like the first few months would you say um usually six weeks six weeks okay yeah four to six weeks and okay so so that's phase one what's phase two look like so to take a back step, phase one, generally you're not doing as many carbs during your run, your runs. Mm-hmm. Um, you're tr- like, if you can do a lot of your runs fasted. Fasted. I know, okay. I know there's a lot of conflicting data out there about running while fasting. Sure. Um, but, you know, if, if you don't want to do that, just make sure your carbohydrate intake is a little bit less just because if there's no better way to get your body into a a state of ketosis, then go exercise. Mm -hmm. And if you're not giving yourself as many carbohydrates as you're used to while you're exercising, then that's just going to fast track that. Mm -hmm. So phase two, you can start messing around with carbohydrates during your runs. Um, you know, I have a lot of people ask me what I use for mine. Um, I'm, I'm different. Like fruit, fruit is kind of like my go-to my stomach handles fruits better, but like Jeff Browning, he's been sponsored by Goo. Um, other people are sponsored by Spring who are low carb. So it's just like, you can still do like typical gels and stuff like that. You're just not doing as much. Mm-hmm. So phase two is just kind of experimenting, bringing back carbs in during your runs and finding that sweet amount of carbohydrate that works for you um, without overdoing it. Okay. And then phase three is just basically what I'm in and what Jeff and Zach's in. <clears throat> And we we're getting anywhere from 80 grams to 150 grams of carbohydrates a day. Okay. Um, and that's fruits, veggies, sweet potato, occasionally some rice. Um, but yeah, it fluctuates with like usually every, <clears throat> every Saturday is my long run. Mm-hmm. And I usually have sushi um, around that long run. That's kind of like my long run tradition. Like beforehand. Um, yeah. I like do Friday, Friday night, Friday night. Okay. So, you know, Friday night, I'm getting between all day Friday and Friday night, I'm getting about 150 grams of carbs on Friday. Mm. Um, and then likewise, after my run on Saturday, I um, do a little bit more fruit than usual and probably have some fried potatoes at night. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's just like anywhere from 80 grams to 150 grams is phase three. Um, going strict keto on your off days, on your recovery days, um, and just kind of fluctuating around with your training. Okay. Phase two, should that be about six weeks as well? No, that's going to be more about four weeks. On four the lower. weeks. Okay. Got it. And and, the, oh, sorry. Um, so are you playing around with the intermittent fasting as well? Do you give yourself just a certain window that you're eating in uh, most days? 
So I used to do it every day. Um, <clears throat> Jeff's been trying to get me away from that. <laughs> um, again, just because there's so much conflicting data about fasting and performance. Mm. Um, I find that my body does well with fasting. So I've kind of compromised and I, instead of doing it every day, I do it about three days a week. Okay. And I usually do that around um, lower intensity days. Mm, got it. Okay. Um, so now, nowadays, like what's a normal day look like for you as far as food? I'm guessing it's probably like getting close to like that carnivore diet almost. <laughs> yeah. So I do carnivore meals. Um, I usually make breakfast, my carnivore meal. Um, and I usually just eat eggs for breakfast. So um, I'll recap yesterday for you. I had, I woke up, I did strength training for an hour. Um, fasted? Then, yep, fasted. Okay. Um, and then after my strength training routine, I made eight eggs, scrambled eight eggs. Um, ate that, I, I threw a little bit of cream cheese and feta cheese in it as well, just to make it a little bit creamier and get a little bit more calories. And then I worked for three hours. I worked from home for a nonprofit organization. <clears throat> and after that three hours, I went for a two hour run. And then immediately after getting back from that two hour run, I had a, I put a piece of chicken in the air fryer and I had that. So since this was after my run, um, that's where I get the majority of my carbohydrates. So I had a chicken breast and then I had a fruit smoothie uh, mm. for my lunch. Okay. And then I wait, I usually wait three to five hours. I, I don't snack. So I waited another four hours till dinner. And then for dinner, usually my dinner is always some kind of red meat. So um, it was a New York steak and then some green beans for, that were sauteed. Okay. How has this affected your social life? <laughs> like, do you go out to eat with people, with friends, family? What does that look like? So, yeah, like, um, that's, that's probably the, the thing that deters people away from this the most is the social aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, like usually you can find it, like usually any restaurant that you're going to go to with a group of people has something that you can eat. Mm -hmm. um, for example, like, you know, a Hispanic restaurant, like I can go there and order like a, a fajita salad. So I can get my lettuce, I can get some steak on top of that, maybe some chicken, some bell peppers. And then I just say, I don't want rice or beans. And then, you know, that's what I eat. So usually most places have something that you can order and make it work. Um, when I go to family functions, um, you know, sometimes I bring my own food and make it like if I have access to a stove, um, I'll, I'll just bring my own chicken or I'll bring my own beef and and make something at the stove while my, my mom's making something for everybody else. Um, if it's a place that's like, I don't have access to cooking my own food, then I just, you know, usually there's some kind of meat there. So I usually just have a plate of meat and I don't have anything else. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. I fast, um, or I just fast. For sure. Yeah. I can see that <laughs> getting in the way almost like in that deterring people, like, was that difficult for you or was that easy just to say, I'm just going to bring my own food. I'm just going to cook it. Um, like, I, I, like I'm picturing myself, like not really wanting to be that guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's transitioned over the first, over these four years that I've been doing it. Okay. Um, at first I was just like, yeah, that's how I was. I was like, I don't want to be that guy. So I just ate whatever people had and just counted that as a, 
you know, it's only once it's not going to hurt kind of a thing. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I can still agree with that. Like the rule that Jeff Browning says is it's his 80, 20 rule. Mm. Um, you want to be, so the whole reason we're doing this is to lower that insulin response. Um, you know, we don't want insulin spikes. Sure. And so the general rule that Jeff always talks to people about is it's his 80, 20 rule. You want to be eating good and clean 80% of the time. And that other 20%, it's okay to, okay, like to occasionally, you know, have something that's outside of the diet, mm -hmm. but you're, you're being strict for 80% of the time. So like your insulin is usually in a steady state. And like, if it does spike, it's super quick. It can come back down just because it's used to the 80% that you're doing better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <clears throat> for people that don't want to be that guy, you know, it's okay. As long as you're being strict, you know, the other 80% of the time. Got it. But for me, it's just gotten to a point where like, this isn't a diet to me anymore. I just like, I feel so good when I do it. Um, I, I know how bad I feel when I don't do it. So it's worth it for me to be that guy because I want to keep feeling good. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, it was Valentine's day a couple of days ago, me and my wife, um, <clears throat> we're going to go out to eat and she wanted pizza. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get a gluten-free pizza. Um, I generally try to avoid gluten because of the inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there was still quite a bit of carbs in a gluten-free crust. Um, and, you know, I've been feeling really good for the past three weeks. Like, I've been feeling the most fit I've ever been. But ever since I've had that pizza, like, I've had a rough couple of days. <laughs> day on my run, like, I almost didn't go for a run today. It took, like, all of my mental energy to finish the run, like, my body's been feeling it ever since having that pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and I know yeah. people are like going to call me superstitious, but it's like, I've been feeling consistently good for quite a while. And then I had that pizza and then I don't feel good anymore. So for sure. yeah, I just, I would rather be that guy. <laughs> is your wife uh, following the same uh, diet that you're doing, or is she just kind of doing her own thing? And, and um, where, where's that balance between you and your wife? Does does she get annoyed with you kind of making your own food or what does that look like? I mean, we've always made our own breakfast. Um, we've always made our own lunch. Mm -hmm. So really it's just dinner that's impacted. And um, it's like, we found an easy fix pretty, pretty early on. Like she still eats meat. <clears throat> so we usually have the same meat for dinner. We usually have the same vegetable for dinner. Um, if she wants rice or potatoes or something that I'm not going to eat, then she just throws on a pan and makes herself some potatoes while I make the rest. So okay. the only time we ever do anything different is if she wants like something that I'm not going to have. And in that case, it's just a, the equation of adding a little bit more onto the stovetop. For sure. Um, are you ever looking at her rice? Like, damn, that looks good. I just, I'm going to break down today. Today's the day. <laughs> I mean, I used to, but you like, stay pretty strong now. Yeah. Like, you know, I've just gotten to the point where I don't crave that stuff anymore. Like okay. my one sushi night on Friday night is enough for me to get my rice fix. Um, you know, potatoes are okay on the, on this kind of diet for athletes. Um, I know Jeff Browning and Zach Bitter, they do sweet potatoes often, red potatoes. I used to do that, but I don't really care for potatoes anymore. So, you know, like, like the, the things I crave right now are meat fruit and occasionally sushi. And that's really all I eat. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
I hate to get so myopic on this uh, diet thing because you're a badass ultra runner, but I just have a couple more questions. Um, <laughs> do you uh, drink coffee or bulletproof coffee or anything like that? Um, I don't drink coffee. Okay. <clears throat> I try to avoid caffeine mm -hmm. um, just because like these races that I do are usually multi-day. Mm. So I try to save my caffeine for the night during these races. Okay. And if I'm only taking it during the night, usually it has a pretty good effect on me. Uh, but have you ever heard of Creo Brew? No. So Creo Brew, it's ground cacao beans. Um, okay. So it's 100% chocolate oh. and, and it brews like coffee. So every day I usually have some bulletproof Creo Brew. There's no caffeine in it. Mm. Um, has a similar taste to black coffee. Just add a little bit of cream to it. I add a little bit of collagen powder and, mm -hmm. and that's what I do. Okay. <clears throat> Um, do you ever have any, uh, cheat days or sweets or anything like that? Like, did you have a sweet tooth before you started this journey or, uh, you know, after a big race, do you ever indulge in a pint of ice cream or what's that like? Yeah. You get like, when people tell me that they can't do this because of that one vice that they have, whether it's ice cream or soda or bread or pasta, like you can ask my wife, when we first got married, I had a mini fridge in our bedroom that was chuck full of Mountain Dew. Um, and then our freezer was always full of three or four pints of ice cream. Okay. Um, and I usually had one of those pints every night while we were watching Netflix together. Yep. Um, we were cheap, married, like we were, we were married both in college. I was doing an internship. So our money, our cash flow was very poor. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of pasta, did a lot of lasagna, spaghetti, um, that did a lot of ramen noodles. So I was doing all of that. And, um, I, I had a big addiction to potato chips. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely gave up a lot of stuff when I started this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you know, it's gotten to the point, like I said, where I don't crave those things anymore. And if on the off chance I do, there's usually a friendly alternative that I can eat that won't spike my insulin. Um, you know, there's a ice cream company called rebel and their ice cream they've done studies on it like keto mojo it's a company that does a lot of study on foods that claim to be keto okay where they like test their blood sugar and their ketones before during and after eating the supposed product that's not supposed to hurt you um, and this rebel ice cream never affected their ketones like it doesn't use any kind of sugars so if i ever want like ice cream i'll have a i'll have some of that rebel ice cream on occasion um siete is a company that makes grain-free tortilla chips. Mm. Um, if I ever want some chips, I'll just snack on those or Jackson's Honest. They have uh, sweet potato chips that are just fried in coconut oil instead of vegetable oils. Mm. So there's usually some kind of alternative that I can have on occasion, but like I would say that that's once or twice a month that I am doing that just because sure. I don't care to in the other times. Yeah fascinating man uh i'm interested uh i may play around with it um so i'm doing my first 200 mile race this year um i've done a handful of hundreds uh i know you've done a bunch of 200s um what are you have, doing? i'm doing the sangre de cristo 200 here in colorado nice that's the human potential series, human potential right? yes sir um yep so, um, do you have any, uh, tips, tricks, advice, or anything for me that, uh, that's worked for you? Yeah. What's the profile like on that? Is it runnable? Is it steep? Uh, there's a couple of big climbs. I think there's going to be 
four big climbs throughout and the rest of it is <clears throat> basically rolling. I mean, of course you're going to be hiking some of it, but you know, rolling, but in the mountains. Yeah. So the, the thing I usually recommend to people, um, first is to, to work on just time on your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's hiking or running or whatever, just get used to be on your feet a lot. And accompanied with that is doing back-to-back big efforts, like maybe once a month as you, when is the race? Not till September. So I'd say like in June or July, start doing once a month a run where you start late at night and then you wake up early the next day and keep going. So like a four-hour Friday night run followed by a four-hour Saturday run doing that once a month. So you're getting used to sleeping or sorry, running, sleeping, running. Mm. Um, and then also once a month or once every other month doing a run during the night. So like, you know, maybe going to bed at 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. then waking up at one or two mm-hmm. and then doing a run for four hours from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So you get used to running in the night when you're tired. Okay. Um, I would say the biggest like <clears throat> thing that people struggle with is the sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can just get your body somewhat used to being able to run on little sleep and during the night when you should be sleeping, then that's going to go a long way. Okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, like little things, make sure you have a lot of extra shoes to change into during it. Um, even if you don't need it, it's refreshing just to be like 50 miles. I'm going to change my shoes, give my feet a break. I can sit down and relax. Um, during the actual event, like there's gonna be a lot of times when you're gonna to want to quit, um, no matter how how strong you are. Like, there's always gonna be a time when you want to quit. Mm-hmm. Just know that like these 200 mile races have such a long cutoff time that you could come into an aid station, take a two hour nap, wake up, eat some food for an hour, and you can still get out of there and keep going. So, don't ever decide to quit until after you've come into an aid station and slept and ate and take care of yourself because chances are you're going to decide that you can keep going after you do all that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, caffeine, do you incorporate caffeine in your 200 milers? And if so, what kind of caffeine do you use? So yeah, just at night, I only do it at night. <clears throat> um, and usually um, I either do like a spring energy, like the, the speed nut has some caffeine in it. Okay. Um, highball energy. I don't know if you've heard of that, but yeah, it's, I have. yeah, it's just soda water with caffeine in it. Um, I'll do highball and then I'll also just, you know, grab one of those, I forget what it's called. It starts with a V. Um, and it's just a caffeine pill that you can get at a gas station. Oh, like Vivarin or something yeah, like that? Okay. Vibrin. Yeah. Yeah. So either highball, um, spring or Vibrin. Okay. And I usually just save that just for the nighttime when I'm struggling to stay awake. Yeah. So you're 200 milers. You're moving pretty fast. I'm guessing you're not stopping at an aid station, taking two hour naps, getting up and eating for an hour and then heading back out. Um, how much sleep are you typically getting in, in, uh, cause your 200 milers are right around the 60 hours. It looks like in 2017, they were a little over 60 and 2019 you were, you were breaking that 60 hours. So uh, how much sleep are you usually getting out there? Do you just kind of go by feel? So this is usually, um, this is an interesting subject because what I do isn't necessarily what I recommend. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so in 2017, when I did my first 200s, I tried to sleep, um, but 
naturally I'm not a good sleeper. Like you can ask my wife every night I wake up every hour and a half, um, usually after a sleep cycle. And it usually takes me a good 20 minutes to fall back asleep, mm. then back up an hour and a half later. So I'm just not a good sleeper. Um, and there's some nights when I'll fall asleep and wake up at two and I can't fall back asleep for, for the rest of the night. Mm. Um, and so that kind of transitioned over to my 200. So I would come into an aid station with the intent of sleeping for two hours. And then I would lay down there and I was just like wide awake for those two hours. And it just kind of felt like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in 2019, um, I just said, screw that. And I just started running. I just kept going until I was falling asleep. And so like, you know, I'd be out on the trail. I'd start kind of like zigzagging. I'd start to hallucinate a little. So I'd whip out my cell phone, set a five minute timer, lay down on the trail. I'd fall asleep and then my alarm would go off. And that five minutes was enough to do it for me. Oh, wow. And then I just keep going until that same thing happened. So the majority of my naps were on the trail and they were usually like two to five minutes at a time. Okay. So I think I did the math like... <clears throat> um bigfoot 200 in 2019 i slept a total of 10 minutes whoa tahoe 200 was another 10 to 15 and then moab was 30 minutes so (laughs) so it was about an hour between the three (laughs) that i slept (laughs) that's insane see that's not what that's not what i recommend like sure i always wonder if i could get a good solid hour to hour and a half like maybe i could move so much quicker after that that i could like past my like hypothetical ghost self that wasn't taking a nap and right and finish stronger like i think there is value to taking a good 45 minute to an hour and a half nap in the middle of the night to to rejuvenate rejuvenate and keep going yeah yeah but you're winning these things man you don't have time to to take naps like that and uh (laughs) so you must be doing something right so just keep doing what you're doing man yeah i i just i I, it's got to be growing up on a dairy farm (laughs) just because I had so many days and nights where like I would go to bed at 1030. I was hanging out with my friends till 1030. And then I had to wake up at two o'clock to milk the cows. Uh, okay. So you know, I got three and a half, four hours of sleep, went and milked the cows. Then I went to school the next day and did all that off of three hours of sleep and did that pretty consistently for most of my childhood and teenage years. So <laughs> I think that's just where it's come from. <laughs> <clears throat> um. So, and then it was this last year, you did a hundred miles fasted, no calories at all. Correct. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, um, someone that's following your diet, like I see how it could be possible. Um, how did you feel out there? Were there any points where you just thought, man, I am stupid. This is dumb. I'm just going to stop and eat a burger and finish this thing out. Or (laughs) what, what was it like for you? So this is such an interesting subject because there's like really no data out there. Right. Like, You're the only person that's done this, right? To, to what, to like, to my knowledge. Right. Like somebody, um, maybe like, some caveman did it at some point, but <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, but like, I tried to get people to do studies. Like I reached out to Utah state university's lab, uh, but just because of COVID, no one was really comfortable with the whole social distancing and stuff. Um, so there's nothing really out there to go off of, but like, I, like I've, I talked to Jeff, like last week, I was like, I want to do another, I, know, I want to do another thing on no calories. I want to see if I can PR my 24 hour um, distance 
on no calories. Mm-hmm. So I want to see if I can like run the furthest I've ever ran in 24 hours while doing on no calories. And Jeff was like, he's like, listen, man, I didn't tell you this, but like when you did that a year ago, he's saying that he had a lot of people that reached out to him through email, like expressing concern for what I did and oh, I bet. like questioning him as a coach. Like, how could you let your athlete do this? Um, so he like kind of tried to talk me out of it. And I get it because, you know, that could have been like a one-time lucky thing. Sure. But the thing is, like, when I did it, I felt so good doing it. Like, I I can't help but want to do it again. Like, <laughs> I had no energy dips. I was recovered and running again, like, a day later, wow. which is, like, usually something I'm not used to even on the low-carb diet. Like, recovery is fast on the low-carb diet, but this was abnormally fast in comparison. Um, I didn't have any food cravings. I, I didn't have like any issues at all during the hundred miles with no calories. So it's hard for me not to want to do it again, but yeah, to answer your question, I I had no issues, no food cravings, nothing, no food cravings. That's crazy. So I guess to take a back step, I might've had one for like two minutes. That's because one of my pit stops mile 67 was at my parents' house. And like, I was there, I put on a new pair of shoes. They got me a glass of ice cold water. (laughs) Um, But as I was leaving, they were all going inside my wife, my parents, they're all going inside to have some steak that my dad was grilling. (laughs) And so, you know, I could see the smoke coming off the grill. Uh. I could smell it. So like, you know, being at my parents' house, I was like, Oh, okay. I I, kind of want to go eat a steak right now. But as soon as I got out of there, I was fine. Okay. Wow. Um, what was your time like compared to other hundred milers? So my hundred mile PR is 16 hours. Wow. Um, okay. And this took me 18 and a half hours. Okay. So a little so bit slower, a little bit slower, but, um, it, you know, I, it's, it's my third best hundred mile time. Okay. Yeah. Were you being cautious? Were you, were you taking it at a little bit of a slower pace? Like just in case this thing blows up in my face or, or were you out there hammering? Yeah. So I was doing this all by heart rate. Um, Oh, okay. Zach bitter connected me with a doctor from New Zealand named professor Plews Pews. Um, I forget how to say his last name, but, um, basically between this doctor, Jeff Browning and Zach bitter, um, we kind of like figured that the optimal range for me to be at was 125 to 130 beats per minute that that was like going to be a for sure range for me for fat burning. Um, I didn't want to deplete my, my glucose. I didn't want to, to like get into that. So, you know, I just, I kept it pretty chill. Like my, usually my like race heart rate is about 158. Um, so I was going a good 20 to 25 beats per minute lower than what I would at a race pace. Okay. Um, what sort of food were you eating the night before? I mean, I'm guessing you, you must've woke up, not eaten and gone off and done this thing. And you know, you were out there for 18 hours. Um, what did you eat the night before? So I guess that might be where some people might get confused. Like, you know, people say I did it fasted. I say I did it on zero calories. So I still ate breakfast before I did oh, Okay. Okay. So walk me through the night before and then the morning of, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, night before I approached it like I would for any race, I had like a steak and then a sweet potato. Um, morning of, I had eggs, bacon, a spoonful of cork, coconut oil, 
and I had an orange just to like, you know, in case I did go a little bit faster and tap into my glycogen. So, okay. Um, but yeah, that, that's all I ate. And then that's the other thing too, that people don't realize, like people saying like, oh, it's not healthy to fast for that long. And I get that you're accompanying this with exercise. So that's like where the danger might come from. But like, I only went 18 and a half hours without eating food. Um, 24 hour fasts are pretty common in just like the normal world. So that's true. You know, I ate before I started, I ate immediately after. So it was, it was less than a day that I went without sure without food. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, more importantly, what did you like, you know, recovery after the, I had a... sorry, I think we, sorry, cut, you cut out mixed up. No, no. Um, I was just curious, like what you ate afterwards. Um, did you keep it a clean diet or did you just say, okay, it's time to celebrate it's pizza and ice cream the rest of the night. Or what was that like? Um, you know, I, so I finished at 11 PM at night. Um, and I had a protein shake and then went to bed. Um, and my protein shakes are usually like a cup of heavy whipping cream. Yep. Okay. So, you know, a cup of heavy whipping cream is like a thousand calories. Yep. So it was a pretty dense, um, calorie dense protein shake. And then the next day I had, um, some elk roast for breakfast. I had a, a bunless burger for lunch and then I had a steak for dinner. So I, I stayed pretty true to it after that. Okay. Okay. Um, I think I saw online recently that, uh, some people were kind of throwing shade at you for, for, um, this, you know, this low carb diet. Um, did I see that correctly? Uh, you know, we don't have to mention names if you don't want to, but, um, um, I didn't even know if it was directly being thrown at you or if it was at someone else, I wasn't even sure, but, um, how do you respond to that? I mean, like, I'm guessing this is, this isn't a diet or a lifestyle for everyone. Um, but what are your thoughts there? Or is this a diet, something that any ultra runner can, can sort of implement into their life and it, it's going to work for everybody. I'm guessing everybody's a little bit different there. So I think people could see benefits from doing it, but I don't think that <clears throat> some of those benefits will outweigh the benefits of their current diet. So, you know, you have somebody like Jim Walmsley, Courtney DeWalter, Scott Jurek, like, you know, they're very different diets and lifestyles than me. Um, And like all three of those could beat me at a race. Mm. So like, you know, what they're doing works for them. So I, you know, I don't, I don't think you'll never see me telling people that this is, this is the way, this is what everybody should do. Sure. Um, You know, I think everybody thrives differently. Um, But yeah, for like, you know, the, the low, the whole low carb thing, it's like, yeah, it gets annoying at times. Usually I'm good at brushing it off my shoulder, but like this incident that you're talking about, um, <clears throat> I just got like brought into this. It was weird. I got brought into the Strava conversation where somebody referenced the podcast me, Zach and Jeff did with this person who has a, you know, he has a PhD in physiology. He's also a runner. Um, he's very against the low carb thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then this person did an Instagram post about the low carb community and how he highly disagrees with it. He tagged me, he tagged Zach. Um, So it was was like a little frustrating. It was a conversation that I didn't care to be brought into. Sure. (laughs) So that's where the majority of my frustration came from. And then, um, you know, just being brought into that frustrated me, but like usually any kind of hate that I receive or any kind of like, you know, pushback that I get from people, like I usually just end up saying like, 
you know, I get where your pushback is coming from. There's a lot of data out there going against what I'm doing, but <clears throat> my personal opinion, my, my, um, my personal N equals one consensus is better for me than science's consensus. Mm. And, you know, you have people that's like highly disagrees with that. Like whatever science says, like that's the tried and true way to do it. So, right. but you know, for me, it's like my body's like, there's a distinct difference between my performance, my health since starting low carb compared to before. Mm. Um, and until my body gives me reason to stop doing it, I'm going to keep doing it. So that's usually just what I tell people, like, you know, I'm not pushing this on everybody. If they want to do it, I'll give them advice on how they should do it. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it just because my body is doing good off of it. Yeah. hundred percent. Good for you, man. Um, yeah. And you know, screw the haters. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that um, there was a post and then this person tagged you and um, I, I didn't exactly know how it all went down. But um, yeah, I mean, why hate on someone else for the way they're eating if it's working for them? You know, like, um, I, you know, I highly doubt that you're getting on, uh, you know, vegan web pages and, and throwing shade at them. And, you know, it's like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know, like, why hate, man? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. And I usually do a good job of brushing it off, but sometimes it's just like, it's just the wrong day. I didn't get a good enough night of sleep and it just pisses me off more than usual. But usually I do a good job of brushing it off and just kind of rolling my eyes and moving forward with my life. Yeah, totally. Well, we're all human. So you're going to get pissed off at one point or another for yeah. something, but uh, no, good for you for just blowing it off and, and staying true, man. Um. The Colorado Trail, was that last year? Yep, September. September, okay. So um, I'm guessing you were signed up for a bunch of races last year that didn't happen. Yeah, um, I was supposed to do Badwater. Oh. Um, actually, Badwater was the only one that I had signed up for us. Oh, really? To, I was trying to figure out my race season when COVID hit, so. Okay. Um, yeah, Badwater was the only one I was supposed to do. So is that still on your list? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I deferred my entry to next year. He gave us the option to do it next year. And like I, with bad water being in California, I think there's a chance that it might not happen this year. Okay. Um, and we have to pay the full entry fee again to do it. Um, so I don't want to potentially pay three entry fees to run it once. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, I'm deferring it to next year just in case it cancels again. Okay, smart move. Um, so yeah, so you jumped into the Colorado trail then, um, which direction did you go? So I did the <clears throat> West to East and then the collegiate East. And the collegiate East. Okay. Okay. And, uh, how did that go for you? Yes. Yeah, so it, it was really funny how it all started just because I was training for a hundred mile FKT that I wanted to do here in Utah. Which um, one? and what the Uinta Highline trail. Oh, okay. Okay. It's just like this rugged hundred mile route <clears throat> in the highest range that Utah has. Um, so I was out there running it and occasionally I'd get service. And while I was doing it is when Courtney DeWalter was going for the Colorado trail. Okay. So I was, you know, checking her status, seeing all the updates that her crew was doing on Instagram. And then the day I finished my training, I texted her crew and was like, Hey, I'd love to head out to pace Courtney. 
um, for a part of this. Is that okay? And then her crew came back and said, oh, you must not have seen the most recent update. She had to drop and go to the hospital. Mm. And so a few days after that, her and I were talking um, about it. And she, she made the comment that she was like, the, basically she said like, she thinks there's so much potential to lower the, the current FKTs on the Colorado Trail. And she's, you know, basically encouraged me to go for it. And so <clears throat> this was mid-August. Um, I told my wife, I was like, hey, what do you think of me going out to Colorado for a week and trying to go for this big FKT? And she's like, you know, if you can make it work, yeah, go for it. And <laughs> so basically, like, I decided to go for it. And then three weeks later, went for it. So it was pretty spur of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately, you know, Ben Light, he's a good friend of mine. <clears throat> he, he is my crew chief. He, like, texted me the logistics for the crew, like basically the day that I decided to go for it, he had it all planned out for me. Okay. Um, I made a post on Instagram. I was like, Hey, I'm doing this Would love people to come out. So somebody I coach came and helped um, somebody I'd never met before offered to come out and help. Um, and then a few other friends came out to help um, some who lived in Utah, Idaho, people who lived in Denver that I was friends with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Thankfully, I had so many people willing to help out on that kind of short notice. Um, but yeah, I, I think it went as as horrible as I thought it could go. <laughs> um, and by that, I mean, it was just like a really hard experience. Um, like, you know, I thought I experienced sleep deprivation at the 200s that I had done. But man, I tell you, when you get to that fourth night and that fifth night and that sixth night and you know, your strategy is to get five to 10 minutes of sleep here and there. It, it really catches up to you. Um, <laughs> I, I had a film crew that was out there that's currently editing a video and they'll occasionally send me clips. And like, as I'm looking at, it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I look so wrecked. In this <laughs> <clip right here." laughs> um, so yeah, it was like the hardest, most tiring thing I've ever done, but, you know, cut, cut almost a full day off the FKT. Um, the, the biggest issue that we had, and I don't know if you saw the article that Gear Junkie did on it, but I had somebody steal all of my shoes on day what? one. No way. From where? Yeah. Out of like a crew van or where? You know, I, the community I live, it's a super honest community. We don't lock our doors at night. And so I just, I had a big duffel bag of 12 shoes that I just threw in the bed of my truck. Oh. And the night before I started out, we were in Durango, we were at a hotel. Somebody just must've walked by and grabbed that bag out of the bed of my truck. Oh. Uh, we didn't know they were gone until we got to mile 20. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to mile 20. We were going up a big climb. There's supposed to be a lot of snow. Um, so Solomon, they make a pair of shoes that have like a waterproof gaiter built around the shoe. Yep. Um, so I asked Ben, I was like, hey, go get my Alpines. Like, it's supposed to be snowy and wet. And, you know, they got it on camera. You see Ben walking around, talking to people like, did you move Mike's shoes? Where are Mike's shoes? Comes up to me. He's like, hey, where'd you put the shoes? I said, they're in the truck. And he's like, I could see like his puzzled look. And he just kept looking. And shoes were nowhere to be found. So <sighs> I slapped the shoes back on. I started out on and got to the next crew spot and Ben and my crew um, took my credit card from me and went to a local running store and got four pairs of Solomon shoes and did the, did the whole FKT breaking in new shoes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did that wreak havoc on your feet? Did you get pretty yeah. blistered up? Yeah. Well, no, I actually didn't really get any blisters. Um, 
which surprised me. But so the thing, like, you know, Solomon's my, my new sponsor. <clears throat> the thing that I love about Solomon is like their shoes last for a long time mm-hmm. because they're made out of really good material. But with that, there's, there's kind of a break in period, um, like, because it's such good material. So like, I didn't get any blisters, but like, you know, just breaking in through that stiffer material and getting it used to my feet. Like it just really made my feet sore. Um, yeah, it was just really sore feet, but I didn't get any blisters. Wow. Um, when is, uh, the video going to be released? Um, we're shooting for the end of the month. Um, we, we made an announcement. It's going to be the end of the month, but the editing process is just, we're shooting for a 20 minute video, but it's turning into more of like a 35 minute video. Cool. (laughs) So he's just really trying to edit it down to something that's not too long while still telling the story. And, and we're hopeful that it can be done by the end of the month. Who filmed you? His name is Matt Van Horn. Okay. Um, he's a local trail runner and filmographer here in the Utah area. Okay, cool. Where's that going to be released? Do you know? We're still playing that out. If anything, it's going to be on my website, uh, lowcarb-runner.com. Okay. But we're hopeful that we can get one of my sponsors to host it on one of their YouTube channels. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We'll share that once we get it. That's cool. Um, was that some of the biggest suffering that you've ever endured out there? Or like, I love a good suffer story. So <laughs> indulge me with, uh, some, some good ones. I'm sure you've got plenty. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the thing that's kind of funny. So the thing that I contribute to a lot of the success I've seen, but is also a weakness of mine is I don't do a lot of research into what I'm going to do. <laughs> you and me both, man. I'm just like, yeah, I'll figure it out when I get there. Yeah. Yeah. So oblivious. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, the Colorado trail is just shy of 500 miles. I started in Durango. So I've gone to the hard rock um, 100 almost every year for the past four years to spectate and run part of the course. So, you know, I know how brutal the San Juans are just from spending time out there in the past. The San Juans, like you're typically above 12,000 feet. So I wanted to start in Durango so I could get that knocked out of the way. Um, but I was so oblivious that I thought once I got through the San Juans, I was going to like drop down and just kind of be hovering around 6,000 feet the rest <laughs> of the way. <laughs> um, I had no idea that the majority of the Colorado Trail was above 10,000 feet. Yeah. So just the altitude was kind of a slap to the face being up that high that long. Um, yeah, like I said, getting to the third and fourth night and onward, like, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Airtop before. No, what's that? So they make those um, hard shell pop-up tents that you can put on like the bed of a truck. Or oh, yeah, yeah. Seat. Okay. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so I have one of those. Um, <clears throat> has a nice like memory foam mattress and stuff in it. So, mm. you know, at all my cruise spots where I tried to sleep, they would pop that up and I climb up into it and lay down for like a good 45 minutes or an hour at the most. Um, and then they'd wake me up and give me some food and I'd just kind of be sitting up there and eating and stuff. Um, a lot of the nights that I was in, it was super cold, um, like down to freezing or below. So like by that fourth night and onward, like waking, being wake, woken up an hour later um, after going to bed, um, it was just so mentally sad. <laughs> um, 
like I, I wanted nothing more to be able to climb into a bed and just sleep for yeah. four, eight hours. <laughs> um, so I usually that first hour, hour and a half after being woken up, I was pretty grumpy. I was pretty tired. I was pretty sad. Um, it was really hard for me to climb out of the tent into the cold night and keep going. Yeah. Um, I'd say like the biggest suffering that I experienced was just like, just like mentally not being mentally trying to accept that I wasn't going to be able to get a full night's sleep till I finished the, the freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I guess like physically about mile 400, um, I had, I strained my quad. So from mile 400 to the finish, I did a lot of limp running, limp walking. Uh, um, I, I took the buff off of my head and like kind of made a makeshift brace that I put above my knee um, to like kind of put pressure on my quad. So that helped a little bit, but like the final day and a half, two days was just like a lot of limp running and it was pretty painful. Uh, how much sleep did you get out there? Uh, did the math and it was just over five hours whoa about 45 minutes a night whoa crazy um hallucinations yeah yeah so um <clears throat> yeah fourth night on i had hallucinations almost every night and just like silly things like i saw some monkeys riding a four-wheeler <laughs> <laughs> um and that, that was actually caught on camera too like i just kind of like stopped and was staring and my pacer's like what are you staring at and i was like like I see two monkeys over there sitting on a four-wheeler, right? That's not real, right? <laughs> so like I still had a little self-doubt. Like I was so far out, I thought it might be real. <clears throat> but like the craziest thing that I've experienced that I experienced was deja vu. Um, I've never experienced that before. But like the deja vu was so strong for like three nights continuously that I was like convinced that I could predict the future. Oh. Um, all right. So this scares me. <laughs> I haven't been into this territory yet. I've had some hallucinations, but I remember seeing a video of Courtney DeWalter and, and she was kind of having, I don't know if it was the same type of thing, but she was talking to her crew and she's like, we've been here before. Right. And you yep. can tell just looking at her, she's totally tripping. Like yep. we've been here before. And they're like, no, we've never been here before. And she's like, you know, she's convinced that they've been in that location before. Yep. So yeah, this stuff starts, it's it kind of freaks me out, man. But yeah, sorry to cut you off. Go for it. It's okay. The, 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 the video you're talking about with Courtney, that was actually while she was on the Colorado trail. That's what I thought. Yeah. She experienced it too, but it, it's crazy. Like, like, you know, every section that I was doing, I was like, I've done this before. And then I'd be like, well, have I, because I haven't even been here before. So how have I done this before? But like, I just go right back and be like, I've done this before. Uh, my wife paced me for the final 16 miles and she like surprised me. But like when she started pacing with me, I was like, I, was like, I don't think you really surprised me. Like we've done this before. We've been here. I knew you were going to surprise me and do this with me. And then like every rock we'd buy, go by, I'd be like, yeah, like I remember this rock. And like, <clears throat> I was having a hard time going on the steep downhills. I was like, this is what happened last time we did it. Um, and then the craziest part, the craziest part, like the final six miles of the Colorado Trail, is it's called Waterton Canyon. Yeah, I've been and there. It's just this like, you bet, yeah, it's like this four lane dirt highway. It's like mm -hmm. super like graded out, super smooth. We were running down that and it was at night. And this is kind of a whole other subject. Um, the, the canyon's closed at night. <laughs> um, and 
it's kind of a weird way to end the Colorado trail because you have hikers, you have people who are coming out in this Canyon and you can't really predict when you're going to come out. <laughs> so we had these security guards that like came up to us and they got kind of mad and they're like, what are you doing here? This Canyon's closed. And I was like, you know, sorry, we just came from Durango. This is what time I got here. <laughs> <laughs> got to get out of here. <laughs> like I like in my head, I like those security guards. Like I could predict that that was going to happen. No way. I had five runners that came to meet me three of them that I never met before. Um, but we ran out together for the final four miles. And in my head, I was like, any minute, there's going to be five runners that's going to come around this corner and run out with us. And that's what happened. Whoa. <laughs> but in doing more research, the only thing that I can figure out is deja vu. Your brain is processing things so slowly that you see it you think you're about to tell the future, but you've seen it like in that moment. And then your brain registers that it's happening. So I saw those five runners coming. It didn't clue into my head that I saw them coming. So in my head, I was like predicting the future when in fact I was seeing them in that moment. And then my brain finally processed it. And I was like, oh yeah, there they, there they are. I just predicted the future. <laughs> so from what I've studied, that's kind of what deja vu is. Your brain's just processing things so slowly that that you think things are happening again, but they're not. Wow. I mean, that seems like a logical way to look at it, but I'm sure it seemed way different when you were there in the moment. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, like now I'm like, that's what happened. Like okay. I, I just processing things, but in the moment I was convinced I was predicting the future. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's scary, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, having gone through that, um, <laughs> like what are your thoughts about uh you know teetering into that territory again is it is it something scary or is it just like yeah i did it it wasn't a big deal i survived you mean with that distance yeah um no with the, those crazy hallucinations in the deja vu oh. i mean i'm interested in doing doing these like multi-day activities still and mm -hmm. i know that, <clears throat> that that's a territory that i'll probably step into so yeah i'm just gonna have to deal with it when it comes <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. Uh, fascinating. I think that you were out there right around the same time that Michaela Osler set the F the women's FKT as well, weren't you? Um, I know that there was a few FKTs set in that time period, a couple before and a couple after. Okay. Okay. Wow. Incredible, man. Um, and you ran like 4,000 miles last year, right? Mm, yep. Yeah, about 4,400. Wow, geez. So what is that average to a day? Like, what's your daily mileage usually? Um, I mean, I think that, so yesterday was like kind of an anomaly year just because I didn't, I lost my job. I still do like a nine to five job, but okay. I lost it because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so like I was able to run a little bit more than usual. Got it. Um, so I think it averaged out to be about 15 miles a day. Okay, okay. And then the, the vertical gain ended up being about 2,500 feet a day. Okay. Well, that seems sort of doable, but gosh, 4,400 just seems like a big number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's super doable. Like, yeah. You know, wow. Two a days or just do one big 15 miler. Yeah. Yeah. How big of an influence has uh, Jeff Browning been in your life? I mean, quite a bit. Like, <clears throat> you know, if he didn't, introduced keto to me um yeah where would you be yeah <laughs> yeah i like i think there's a good chance i would have given up on ultra running because really? my stomach um 
my stomach would have kept having issues and yeah. um yeah man who knows yeah <laughs> I, I i do wonder that sometimes like you know like yeah I'd, I'd probably still be gaining weight eating a bunch of ice cream and <laughs> eating a bunch of Mountain Dew. Yeah. um yeah probably found a new hobby and yeah He's done. Yeah. Besides the keto thing, um, what has he provided for you as far as a, a running coach? So he's the one that, you know, he, he does my daily plans, like, you know, do a tempo run today, do a hilly easy run. <clears throat> um, and then he also is the one that started implementing strength training in my routine for me. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So I guess, you know, aside from the nutrition, he's also helped my AT band issues just because ever since doing that, I I've had no it band issues. Good. Yeah. Cool. Running strength training and nutrition is what he helps me with. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, what does next year look like for you or this year rather? Sure. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do the Coca Dona 250. Ah, sweet. Nice. That looks yeah. pretty sick. Yeah. It's, it should be a fun one. A lot cool. of people going out there. Yeah. Um, going to do the Moab 240 in, in October. Um, I've never done any of Candace Birch races, like sing singular. They've always been a part of the triple crown. Triple crown. Okay. Wow. So, so I want to go do, I want to go do Moab and see what I can do, like trained and recovered and rested and just see what kind of time I can throw down there. Sweet. Um, and then in December, I'm going to go, I haven't really announced this yet, but I'm sure I will soon, but I'm going to go after the 48 hour world record on a treadmill, um, in December. Okay. What is the current world record? 251.7. Whoa. 48 hours. Okay. So 252 is what I'm aiming for. Incredible. Wow, man. Well, it sounds like it's shaping up to be a good year, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Wow. Um, you mentioned that you have a podcast too. Yeah, I just started one a couple months ago. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. What's it called? Uh, one step above. Oh, sweet. One step above. Cool. And is it all running related, or what's it geared towards? Um, I started it geared towards um, just like inspiration for anybody. Um, like you know, I interviewed somebody that started a business, and you know, grew that business. So. It was meant to be that, but it's slowly transitioning into a running podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how this one is. Um, you know, I like interviewing middle of the Packers, back of the Packers, writers, musicians, artists, anybody that's that's doing big things, so to speak. But uh, yeah, like probably 80 to 90% of it is, is multi, uh, mountain endurance athletes. And yeah. I mean, that's what I enjoy. And I love talking to, to all kinds of people. So that's kind of how this one is shaped up as well. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, any shout outs or anything you'd like to give sponsors, anything like that? Um, yeah, all of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're sponsored by Solomon. Solomon, Gnarly Nutrition, Primal Kitchen Nutrition, uh, Squirrels Nut Butter, Rudy Project, and Gingy. Um, crap, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. <laughs> That's a lot uh, as it is. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to miss somebody, but yeah, that's, that's okay. the majority of it. <laughs> cool. Cool. Oh, uh, and Kogala, Kogala. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Is your wife, uh, what you like your normal crew person? I'm guessing she didn't come out for the Colorado trail, but the, does she come to most of your races and help crew and pace you? 
yeah she's um she's a champion <laughs> um the the first year i did the triple crown of 200s in 2017 we had our first son three months earlier um and she still wanted to come out like she she can she tried to she had to convince me to let her come i didn't wow. want her to come because i didn't want her to have to worry about a baby and uh, me yeah <laughs> um but she came out in our little toyota camry that we had at the time and i remember coming to one of the aid stations and like she wasn't ready for me like she usually is and I went and found our car and kind of peeked through the window and she was curled up in a ball in the driver's seat and our son had like blankets and stuff around him and he was on the floor by the gas pedal <laughs> so she lived in a car for three days each month um for three months at the triple crown oh, god and, bless her <laughs> yep she came out to the triple crown in 2019 when she was pregnant with our second child and i saw a video like of that eight months pregnant so it wasn't <laughs> like at the beginning um and she actually did come out to the final three or four days of the colorado trail with one of our children okay wow well it's pretty supportive yeah well thank god for that right like no. you know, who would we be without our significant others that come out and help us do all this crazy stuff so we're possible. we're lucky we found the right people i guess so <laughs> good on her yeah yeah um you said you had a website too what was the website lowcarb-runner.com okay and is that um is there blog on there video on there or what sort of a website is it oh you, you gave me an idea i should start doing a blog yeah <laughs> totally. no, it's, it's just uh it's just like for coaching basically okay got it got it Cool, man. Um, one more diet related question. Um, yeah. has this, do you think that this has saved you money in the long term? Like, are you eating cheaper or is it more expensive to eat the way you're eating? It's more expensive. Okay. There are cheaper ways to do it for people that want to do it on a budget. Um, but I always, so, um, I don't have health insurance for myself. Hmm. Um, well, I do. It's like, it's just like, it's called Christian Healthcare Ministries. And basically, it's just catastrophic. And um, it's just there. So you don't have to like pay the fine for tax season. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's super cheap. It's like $40 a month. Um, so I always come back to people and just say, basically, my food budget is my health insurance premium. <laughs> Just because ever since going this route, like I've never been sick, I've never had to go to the doctor. And obviously if catastrophic things happen, like you're gonna want health insurance, but but yeah, it saved me a lot of money in terms of the health side of things. I haven't had to get prescriptions or go to the doctor for anything. Wow, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> crazy man. Well, this has been super fascinating. Um, any tips or advice you'd give to anybody who uh, is, you know, like I said, like low carb curious, like, like I am. Yeah. I usually recommend people cut out the grains first. Um, grains are like, you know, going back to your question about like, if I cheat and stuff, like <clears throat> if I do choose to cheat, like I never have grains mm -hmm. just because I've learned of how highly inflammatory it is for my body and most bodies of people that I've worked with. Okay. Um, but you said, sorry to interrupt you, but you had a uh, gluten-free pizza though, right? Yeah. So, so like once so in a I great, great grains, while. So when I say grains, I mean, avoid gluten. Okay. Okay. Got it. So yeah, if I choose to have some kind of flour, 
Mm-hmm. It's usually like coconut flour, almond flour, rice flour. It's usually it. a type of flour that's not like flour flour. <laughs> Got it. So usually when people are curious about starting, I usually say cut out pasta, cut out bread. Don't worry about your carb intake. So, you know, if you want sweet potato, if you want rice, if you want fruit, like still do that. Just cut the grains out first and get used to that. Mm. And then, you know, cut out the rice next and then just kind of slowly work towards it. Mm. And once you get used to cutting out foods that most people like can't imagine living without, then then start to worry about your carb intake. Okay. So you would suggest going slow and gradual rather than just diving straight in and suffering. <laughs> yeah, it's usually um, it's usually gonna help people stick to it more. Yeah, yeah. The people that go all in, um, it's just like 50 50 you're gonna have somebody that's gonna rough it out kind of like I did or you're gonna have like in my experience, most people who go all in um, don't end up sticking with it. Yeah. So yeah, just slowly go at it. Cool. Cool. It's good advice. Um, Michael McKnight, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I may hit you up uh, occasionally with some random low carb questions. If I, if I start to dabble in this, uh, you know, I've played around with it a little bit, but I've never gone fully in. And now that I'm signed up for my first 200 miler, I'm, I'm feeling like I need to take some sort of drastic action to get this thing done. So <laughs> on that note, I will say, like, <clears throat> I know I said that this diet isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have somebody like Courtney DeWalter who did a 200 mile race and she crushed it. Like she has the Moab 200 course record. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still stand by that, but I'm also going to throw out there anybody that's going to do like the 200 mile distance is the distance where a low carb diet makes the most sense. Like if you're doing a 50 K a hundred K a 50 miler, even a hundred miler, like, you know, fast hundred mile course, usually you're going to be going at speeds where you're going to be tapping into glucose throughout that race, mm-hmm. a 200 mile race. Like you're going to be going slow enough. You should be going slow enough. That's a maintainable pace that like, you know, chances are you're not going to be going into your glucose that often. So, mm-hmm. so a low carb, high fat diet approach for a 200 mile multi-day event makes a lot more sense in my mind. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's a good strategy to take. Um, okay. Yeah. I'll keep you posted. Yeah. <laughs> Killer man. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Like I said, this has been fascinating and, and eye-opening in, in many ways. So, um, thank you so much and, and good luck to you over the rest of the year. We'll be keeping an eye on you and just keep doing what you're doing, man. Like people are watching, you're inspiring people, you're out there doing big things. So keep getting after it. It's, thank it's you. inspiring stuff. Absolutely. Cool, brother. Well, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your evening and, uh, talk to you soon, man. Okay. Sounds good. Enjoy All your right. evening too. Thanks buddy. Take care. Yep. Bye. I want to thank Mr. Michael McKnight for coming on the show and dropping some knowledge. I love hearing all that stuff. It's inspiring. It gets me fired up. I love it. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, um, leave me a review, screenshot it, send it to me. I'll send you a free hat. We got some do big things, trucker hats. It, they make great running hats. I got a couple colors. You even get to choose the color, black or white. Come on, man. Leave me a review. I'll send you a hat free. Come on, baby. 
Uh, before I get you guys out of here, I want to tell you real quick about big things crewing. Are you looking to increase your fitness? Are you thinking about your first marathon or ultra marathon? Maybe you're signed up for an ultra and you're wondering how you're going to get it done. Or maybe you need someone to help you get started running altogether. Big things crewing can help. I have been there. I know how it goes, you guys. I started this company in 2019 with the goal of helping people achieve their dreams. We offer coaching programs and training plans from beginner to elite, as well as offer crewing and pacing for ultramarathon runners. Some of the best moments of my life were running ultras, and I couldn't have finished races like the Leadville 100, High Lonesome 100, Western States 100, without high-quality pacers and crew. In fact, one of the things I love the most about ultras is having your friends and family come out to help you. But if you want to do a big Colorado mountain race and you don't know anyone out here, give us a shout. We want to help. We got your back. We've done the races. We know the courses. We've got the trucks to get to the backcountry aid stations, and we know where they are. Uh, we've been there. We've done it. I've been in this sport for over a decade, and most of my friends have too. We know how to get you to rally, to dig deep, and get you into that finish line. We want to help. We want you to do big things. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast so you're notified when a new episode drops. If you like what you hear, please write us a review. It helps to be seen among all the other podcasts you could be listening to right now. Head on over to our YouTube page and subscribe there as well. Find us on all the social media platforms as Big Things Crewing. And as always, our website is big-things-crewing.com. I want to thank Athletic Brewing for making this podcast possible. 20% off discount code is McRobertsA20. I'm hooking you guys up with a discount on the best non-alcoholic beer around. And this, this isn't O'Doul's we're talking about here. This, this is high quality stuff, you guys. I'm not kidding. IPAs, dark stouts, hoppy beers, whatever craft beer you guys like. And this has no alcohol in it, so stay healthy, baby. I also want to thank Will and On Pace Wellness for uh, stepping up and supporting the podcast. If you want to dial in your nutrition and do big things this year, look up On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast for a 10% discount. Remember, guys, life is short. Do big things. Pedro. Take us for a run.